No, I mean, architecture is political. We gotta, we gotta add that stuff. Indeed. We're tearing down communities to build multifamily and you have to understand we are creating displacement. You're displacing black and brown folks and they don't come back. Half of this podcast would be dedicated to the history of Tyler House my journey and my discoveries and hey i'm gonna solve this housing problem hey guys what's up my name is melissa daniels this is the architecturalist political podcast where black and brown folks talk about architecture i hope you enjoyed this podcast and be part of my storytelling in this episode i had a pleasure of talking to isa sagalovich she's a tiktoker instagrammer artist advocate, ally. She has so many titles behind her name. I've always been interested in how allies become allies, how they discover what black and brown people have already known. In talking with her and talking with Chris, and ironically, they know each other. In some way, somehow, there's a black woman involved. (laughs) There's a black woman that they took a class from and they taught them something that it was never in path of their education. And then they paused and realized that something's not right. And they begin to research on their own and they begin to read books and dig deeper. And it's like this aha moment for them. And it's like, wait, no, this isn't right. And I must do something about it. Issa took a lot of flack for what she believes in. Um, what I mean by flack, I mean online. Like she says a lot of things, a lot of what you may deem as controversial. As you know, social media is not kind to to people, but she continues doing it anyway. That to me is what an ally is all about. An ally put themselves on the line because they see the injustice that's going on. And I don't use that word lightly. I don't hand out that word ally a lot. And this is my own personal definition or personal belief of what an ally should look like and who I call an ally because you know you can look you can look her up and like no she's not my ally and you know to eat your own and you have every right to believe that there could be some stuff that comes up with Issa that I didn't even know and that would warrant a conversation with her if that ever comes up And the crazy thing about it is she would be open to that conversation and she may agree with it. She may not agree with it. And at that point, it would be another conversation. I don't know what would happen, (laughs) to be quite honest with you, but I know for sure I can always contact her. Like, listen, I heard this and that. Let's talk about it. And she could present some stuff. I could present some stuff and and we'll, we'll go on from there. But the point is, is that part of being an ally is you're able to have those tough conversations. You're able to go to that person and say, Hey, I don't like this. I don't like what you said. And this is why I don't like what you said. So at that point, there would may or may not be a decision. Like I don't, if I feel strongly about something and it's completely opposite of what she believes in, then things will change. Or she'll understand and she'll, okay, I think I was wrong in this and she'll go and change it. Or I realize that I'm wrong and I would say, I, I see your point, I was wrong. 
and move on with life. But that's the key thing is, is that you, you're able to have a conversation. When you're on social media, because you're limiting characters, because you're limiting video, unless you do like a YouTube or something, your point may not be able to come across fully. And that's when you're able to pull that person aside and have that conversation. And in today's age, it's so easy to just jump the gun and it's so easy to to point out things. And I've been guilty of that. I've been a thousand percent guilty of, of jumping the gun and I'm like, oh, whoa, wait, I was wrong in this. I was wrong in posting this. I will immediately take it down and do my research and to, and to say like, you know what? You're right about this. I don't know much about this topic. Let me move on. As things get more progressive in how we obtain information and try to decipher which is fake news and which is real, that the information that I research is a credible source is very important. And even the research that I'm doing, and again, this is not my nine to five, I have to piecemeal things together. I have to read something. I may have to put it down because something else is more pressing. And I also appreciate all of you listeners, especially those who slide into my DMs. Either just tell me that they really appreciate the the information I provide or even the ones that correct me. And we have a conversation. We talk and you guys educate me on on these things. And I just want to say thank you for that. If I haven't already personally, thank you for your support and for just talking to me. I really enjoy talking to you. And some of you even end up being guests on this podcast because our conversations run so deep. And this is part of it too. Issa and I have been talking for a while about various things. And, you know, I just asked her, hey, you know, before you become even more famous let me get you now um on this podcast and talk thank you for your support and you know being my tribe when I won the Whitney M. Young award and I posted on my LinkedIn about how grateful I am and how important a tribe is like if it wasn't for my exposure in high school, I would not be in this field today. And this, the amount of support that I have, it's, 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 it's incredible. Like it's insatiable. And you don't, you know, I mean, blessings I count in a day because of people who truly care. And for my listeners too, like those who care about what I say those who just are standbys then you know whatever you know what I'm getting at meeting new people every single day just want to put that out there I don't have a opportunity to say that or I I shouldn't say opportunity I don't say that enough I'm currently shopping for a new host right now I use anchor and anchor is free for me that's why I've been really slow to respond to it but it's part of Spotify so I've been looking for uh, a new RSS hosting feed and part of the things that I 
don't like about Anchor is that I can't do dynamic content. And what's dynamic content? Well, I'm about to tell you um, some upcoming things. I I will be at AIA convention in Chicago along with the three other ladies for the Whitney M. Young Award. We have a session on Wednesday, June 23rd, I believe. At 2 p.m., if you're attending the AIA conference in Chicago, I invite you to come and listen to us and meet me. And I will also be there for a couple of days attending the rest of the convention. I am also doing Equity by Design in April. Check on my LinkedIn profile or Rosa Shang's profile or you can Google it too. So Going back to Anchor, Anchor doesn't do dynamic content. And what that that allows me to do is make announcements like this. So if you're listening to this in July, August, September 2024, and it's now 2022, and you're like, I missed this, part of dynamic content will allow me to put a date so that you won't be listening to this in the future of an event that already happened. If you have any suggestions of which is best for me to use, I am all ears. There's not that many, well, there's not that many out there to begin with, but I don't really see the difference between like Lipson and Breastbrout. And you're like, what are you talking about? Who are these things? What are these things? If you're a podcaster or you're in the industry, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, so I'm in the search for that. Anything else, guys? No, I think that's it. I'm gonna let this episode speaks for itself and I hope you enjoy it. Here you go. Is it Interstellar Isabella? <laughs> yeah, Is that- Interstellar Isabella. Okay. How did you come up with that name? <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't even remember. I think that was originally my Instagram name. I think it was probably early high school that I was just playing around with my name. My mom named us all like these really long names. They're Gabrielle, Francesca, and Isabella. And so it was just me playing around with my friends. So Issa, is that? Yeah. How pronounce your last name? Uh, Segalovich. Segalovich. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That, that doesn't sound like a Williams or Daniel or... <laughs> no, it's from Belarus. My dad's family is Ashkenazi from Belarus and Lithuania. Uh, and my mom's family is a Transylvanian Saxon, which are German folks that live in Transylvania and Romanian. So Romanian on my mom's side. And that was like a big part actually of growing up and maybe it's something that'll filter into our, our conversation a little bit, but they both come from Queens. I grew up in New Haven. Being Eastern European, even though we were like second generation, my grandparents were refugees from Romania. Um, and being Jewish were definitely really big parts of kind of like how we saw ourselves and how we grew up and using a lot of Yiddish around the house. Even though I'm not from Queens, having my parents from Queens, I kind of have like, I don't know, there's something about that is a big part of who I am. How did you get to Philly? I went to Haverford starting in 2015. I went to school there. I started going back and forth to the city. I joined a bike team. And so I started going back and forth to the city a lot and then realized that I just liked being in Philly a lot. And eventually it got to be, I was going like every day for different activities and internships. And then senior year, I moved full to the city and I've been there since and probably stay for at least a little bit more. (laughs) How was high school for you? High school was, um, so it was lovely. I went to a 
all girls Catholic school. I actually was pre-med. And so I was doing science stuff. I was a science kid and I worked in a lab at Yale. My high school was really big into like genetics research. They had this one nun who got us a really big grant so that we were able to do genetic sequencing, all this crazy stuff. And so I got really into biology. Whenever I have a good teacher, I get really into like whatever they're teaching. <laughs> um, so I got super into biology. My dad's a doctor. So I really wanted to be a doctor, but I always was really interested in art as well. So, so I loved science and I went to college for biology and art was like kind of on the side a little bit until the middle of my sophomore year and then everything changed. <laughs> I was always really interested in art and had it in my background. Like, oh, I just had this as a hobby because I always kind of saw it as something that was really self-indulgent. Oh, I'm not going to be an artist. I'm not going to go into like anything visual. You know, that's just for fancy museums and white cube galleries and things like that. Maybe I'll have it as like a hobby. And I really wanted to help people. I want to be a doctor of some kind. It started by failing, almost failing one of my chemistry classes. I'm like, okay, that's not a great sign. The sophomore year, I had to take like an anthro class for pre-med requirement. And I was already an art minor. So I saw this thing called visual studies. I was like, okay, I'm gonna try that out. What is that? It turned out that visual studies is this combination of something I did not know. It was a combination of sociology, anthropology, cultural, like adding in all the cultural elements to art history that's so often missing. And it was taught by uh, Dr. Christina Knight, who is this incredible Black woman professor who I feel like she went to Harvard. She just does this amazing, like, kind of groundbreaking work. At the same time, I heard this professor, Julie Grigsby, is really good. So she's teaching a class called Race, Sex, and Gender and Sexuality. So I messed up the name of the class. It ended up being this class that I had no idea what I was in for. It was just this kind of tour de force of like intersectional feminism intertwined with history of the carceral system, um, reading like Kimberly Crenshaw. And it turns out, of course, like they, they're both friends and they both go back and forth with their curriculums. Um, and actually, I don't know how, how involved they are with each other's curriculum, but, but it was incredible because like suddenly I was in a completely different academic world where I was lucky enough to have these two amazing Black women professors who were teaching and showing me things that I had just never considered. <laughs> I had just never known about the way that we see the world visually can completely alter our actions and how we think about the world around us. At the end of that semester, this was November of 2016. It was a wild time, but Trump won the election. I was, at the time, I was left, but I wasn't too, too, as far left as I am now. A lot of people have kind of described this sort of wake-up call. The world is not, at, like, not everybody <laughs> is on my side. Not everybody is on our side. I actually don't know <laughs> what the world is like at all. And I had one of many existential crises of that year kind of just thinking, okay, there's something very, very wrong here that I am not realizing. And so I went to, to Julie Grigsby's class the next day and we kind of all sat around in a circle and I had to leave the class and I like started crying. I was so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And then I came back and she was like, okay, you have to go and watch Malcolm X speech, The Ballad or the Bullet. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go home and do that. Throughout the next year, I started kind of thinking about, okay, try to get myself involved in a bunch of different arts organizations and say, all right, what is an arts organization that's actually, I've seen an individual study, I've seen that this is possible. What can art do 
to actually change the way that people think about the world and what's, what can art do to change the people's circumstances? And there's so much, <laughs> there's so much <laughs> that's, out, that's out there. And so the, the semester after that, I tend to go like way full force, the things almost like way too much. So I went and I interned at the Association for Public Art in Philly. I interned at this kid's workshop daycare center where I was their art teacher and then I started working at a gallery the summer after that I started working at fringe arts the year after that is when I started getting involved in mural arts and and paper monuments after that as well so and that's where I met Chris Denver but with those two professors and I was just in a situation where I was very lucky to be able to get involved with so many different mentors each one kind of helped me see and alter my worldview in a whole different way to see how art can really just like alter people's lives and the way that we view buildings, the way that we view our city and the monuments that we choose to have. And so that kind of led, up, led us up to where we are now. <laughs> Were you on social media? No, no. So I have my own notebooks and a lot of writing to myself. <laughs> and I did a class where we talked about graffiti. So I got like a few people together and we had a little reading group where we read about different eras of graffiti. I haven't really been talking on social media until last year, until last February. What made you do it? I was bored in the house. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I was bored in the house. We, we were like a year into COVID at that point. I was living by myself. I have all the time in the world to just talk to myself and kind of scream and shout. And so I was on TikTok. I really liked TikTok. Some people say that's easy to get bigger on TikTok, but I kind of wanted to try out different things. I was like, what can I do? Can I make a video go viral? Is it possible? I tried out painting and a few different weird craft things. And it, looked super awkward it didn't like really come together and then I was like okay maybe people will be interested in these these skeletons who are they're called catacomb saints which are these old really strange it's it's a long story but they're these these skeletons that are completely encrusted and covered in jewels from Germany and one of those videos took off and I was like okay maybe People won't be horrified by the sight and um, sound of me talking about <laughs> uh, art history. We tried a couple of the things that I'm super interested in. Technically, I've really been a public person talking online for about a year at this point. We are talking because you were bored in the house one day and decided <laughs> <Yeah>. to... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so I was always really interested in art history and talking about art. And, and I love to write. I love to write. And I hope one day to be doing much more writing. But there is something that I just love, love, love. And I found that I'm falling in love with it more every day and just being able to have my face just talking to people, mm -hmm. um, just saying stuff. Just getting um, the message out. Yeah, yeah. So how did architecture get involved? Yeah. Okay, for the audience <laughs> sake, you uh -huh. did this TikTok about five and one construction. And so you made an excellent point. And I was like, yes, this is what I was thinking. You made an excellent point about how this five and one is just like all over the place and yeah. how it, it's now defining gentrification. Yeah. We started talking on IG. Uh -huh. And then when you posted it, 
you really understood what being famous means is when you say something that no one likes <laughs> they go after you and then yeah. I hopped on Twitter because I saw what they were saying and then I got some heat too and I uh-huh. and it was just like I was like oh these people these people are crazy oh my gosh yes I'm so funny that you bring up that video because I'm thinking I was thinking before coming on I was like thinking about drama TikTok drama what was my what's been my most controversial videos because I never I feel like I can never really tell which ones are gonna take off in a completely different direction than I plan them to like there is sometimes that I think that like something's not that controversial and then it'll go people will take it completely different directions than mm, I expect. Right, but that right. one I kind of knew I was like all right people are not going to be so happy about this because yeah I made that video there were a couple points in the video that I wanted to like eventually update but on the whole it was really just about you know how these structures are a symbol of this much cheaper type of architecture this much quicker type of architecture and these like enormous enormous band-aids that are on top you know that people are touting as a a solution to the housing crisis that of course I do not think it's a solution to the housing crisis I find them really interesting in their specific lack of character and lack of distinction in different neighborhoods but also I worry about them about their longevity and what does it mean that all the new housing that is available for people are these very similar buildings I have I, there's a, a way more concerns that I put in the video but yeah I put it up on Twitter which I shouldn't have done I woke up in the morning it had like 190,000 views and every single Yimby, which for those that are listening stands for yes in my backyard. Yimby in the world was like all over me, all over the page. Like you have no idea what you're talking about. You should take this down. You're harming all housing activism. You know, it and like it was constant. It was berating. It was like again and again. It was over and over. And I eventually got to meet a couple of different people that are in have been in this conversation especially on Twitter and learned just a lot about how this has been a problem on Twitter for the past, like at least the past like seven years, where in housing, there is a very certain opinion which dominates the conversation a lot of the time, which is that more buildings, yes, good. And that when people tend to speak back about that for whatever reason, some of them are good reasons, some of them are bad reasons, they'll get labeled as a NIMBY, as a no in my backyard person. My stance on that has always been like, I'm not the person that's saying no new buildings, but I think we should be so careful about what do we want to see in the architecture. If we have a huge new wave of new buildings, don't we want to make sure that they're not continuing legacies of like structural inequality that have been with us for such a long time. But yeah, that was just one video that I knew that would get a little bit of pushback. I don't think I expected just how much pushback, but I've become so much more interested in housing after the, after I healed, after I licked my wounds, <laughs> after I like... <laughs> after you went to therapy and <laughs> with, with therapy. all the emotional... Oh my God, yeah. Because like it's one thing where it's like, out of all of the, the, the comments, all the backlash that you get from like having a large presence online sometimes there 
stupid comments. Your eyebrows are dumb or like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You are irrelevant or stuff like that. It's like, okay. But then there's people that are like, no, they'll say, oh, you're actually doing harm with this with this thing. Oh my God. And did I just spread some kind of piece of misinformation that could be harmful? I think that was like the issue with that video for me too. And then this hasn't been as much of a, a problem with as many other ones, but this was one in particular. I was like, Oh my God, what if I actually am doing harm? What if I don't know what I'm talking about? And so that ended up leading down like a whole other path of learning. Since then I have been like reading a ton about housing and finding out more about about the YIMBY movement, about, you know, the backgrounds of NIMBY movements and things like that. So that's, that's been, that's been really interesting to kind so of do take you, a backseat. Yeah. Do you have any regrets or would you have edited or done anything differently looking back? Looking back, I probably would have stress some of the nuances of the housing crisis and how there are some new buildings that need to be built. There was an article written by Jerusalem Demsas, who is an amazing researcher that I had called in the video. I had said that the article was gaslighting, which looking back, that was just not the right word to use. There are just a few things that I had said in the video that maybe I could have phrased that differently. The more that I've learned about the housing crisis as well, I think there were a couple different things that I could have stressed more in a different way. And also like from listening to your conversation with Nikita Reed and listening to her podcast as well, the more I learn about preservation and about housing repairs and the reasons why people get evicted and more and more when that happens in Philadelphia. So following eviction news in Philadelphia, those are the things that I do want to stress a lot more in conversations going forward, where we have this huge, huge, huge concentration on building new buildings and not mm. preserving the buildings that we have. And so one thing that a lot of people will say, especially like folks that are uh, like super, super, super pro, pro new building, we can point to the numbers that show that we do have technically more houses than people, but a lot of those houses aren't livable. So if we concentrate on preservation, if we concentrate on keeping those houses that we have livable, that's a huge, that's a huge part of it. The fact that all these buildings look the same mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it doesn't identify the culturalness of the neighborhood. It's yeah. literally just metal cladding and maybe brick mixed in somewhere. And that's it. Like there's no research into the neighborhood itself. There was another, similarly to like, there was another TikTok talking about gentrification blue or gray, one of the uh -huh. colors and uh -huh. how there was this neighborhood and it lost all its color because people were mm -hmm. buying up all these houses and painting it this neutral color because that's, that's the new thing yeah. to do. Secondly, the idea that when you flood the the supply, then the demand would, would dwindle, but mm. no one is talking about people want to make money. The whole point <laughs> of building these buildings is so yeah. that they could make money. Yeah. So if you have yeah. overpriced units, even if you can get, you know, $5,000 for a two bedroom a month, and let's say you have 20 units and they're all $5,000, all you got to do is rent 10 of them and you're okay. Like yeah. who cares if the others sit, you're still making your money. You understand yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. and if I keep it at 5,000, then that's more money for me. So yeah. the idea that you flooding, take DC, for example, DC 
all you see along the skylines are these multifamily housing. Like they're mm-hmm. everywhere now. They fill mm-hmm. the skylines up and mm-hmm. there's still homeless people on the streets. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that we need to knock down single family homes so, so that it could be like a monopoly of, of high rises everywhere with little yeah. green spaces here and there or a school or a playground and no single family housing yeah. that will solve the homeless problem. Right. Right. This whole so <laughs> many other problems with that. Yeah. You're going to have empty ap- apartment buildings that'll be riddled with crime at one point. Yeah. What if you get flight? The pandemic yeah. is a perfect example. New York pr- housing prices went down so significantly. People were like, yes, I can actually afford to live here. And yeah. now that everything's back to normal, your $1,200 studio apartment is now $4,000 again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so those are the two things I got out of your, that I was fighting for that, that people just didn't seem to understand. So I didn't know you were art history. I was assuming mm-hmm. that you oh, were, yeah. you, you went to architecture school. You talk about the Bajas, you talked about Le Capucier. Like, how did you get there? Like how? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so starting from visual from like where I was in visual studies I was with Christina Knight we were doing all that and even though I did I don't think I had language to talk about it at the time or really articulate it too well but I started thinking about ornament it's funny because it's like right now I'm really deep into architecture my content for the past probably the past few months has been very 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 architecture centered and I do keep coming back to it because I don't know there's just like this pull there's this draw that I find super magnetic about buildings and talking about them. Like a year ago, if you had um, been on my page, it was all about textiles. It was all about embroidery and then a little bit about folk art. And once in a while, I've talked about Eastern European Easter eggs. And so what it ends up all being about is ornament. My godfather, actually, wait, he's, not, he's actually not my godfather, but sometimes I think about him as my godfather. Um, his name is Guy Ferraro. But about a year when I was like, 12 like 11 or 12 he gave me this book of styles of ornament by someone named Speltz it's from like 1947 or something like that it's one of those old ornament books so it's filled with all of these super beautiful detailed drawings of wrought iron and etched stone and carvings from all over the world and I was just flipping through and I got really into little details all the way back in college jump ahead to college I was starting to think about how do we talk about graffiti I thought that the most interesting way to talk about it or just like what I I was this interest in ornament that I had, I had always had on these ornament doodles that mm-hmm. I've had I've put down for a little bit but hopefully it'll come back up again but I started just getting very, very interested in why we used to have all of these really brightly colored, super embroidered clothing. And now our clothing is much simpler. And the same thing in design. Like why does good design look so often so white or so minimalist? Like why do we think about good design in that way? And so then I started just digging around and really just kind of 
out of no, like nowhere as I was looking, okay, ornament history. And the guy that always comes up when you're searching like the history of ornament is Adolf Loos. When I read Ornament and Crime, which basically just starts off um, with him talking about people from Papua New Guinea, indigenous people from Papua New Guinea, and he calls people childlike. He calls people them primitive. He calls all of these really, really just terrible things to say that's all based in this evolutionary racial science that they are decorating themselves because they're not as evolved as the modern white European man. And I was like, okay, this is just a crazy racist guy from the twenties, right? It's like, whatever. And then I started looking like kind of digging a little bit deeper and was blown away to learn how influential this piece of writing was and that he was drawing on so many different ideas at the time and how many people that influenced and people that would end up writing similar things. And so it was when I got to, to collocate and in New Orleans, where I worked for them for paper monuments, and I did some graphic design for them afterwards, and started hanging out with Brian Lee and Susan Mobley, where I was uh, just like, Again, like this is another like one of those like world shaking like <laughs> worldview moments where I started learning just how much racism is integrated into our understanding of architecture, what good design, I'm putting in air quotes, <laughs> good design looks like. I think we ended up striking up like a little bit of a conversation about Adolf Loos one day where I was like, I was, I mentioned him. He was like, oh, wait, do you know about Adolf Loos and like this whole thing? And I was like, yeah, this is like. I'm obsessed with this. <laughs> um, and, and so I found that it was super interesting to talk about it and clothing as well. It's not that everyone knows about how bad fast fashion is, but it has become a very big conversation that I'm really happy is as big as it is. What I've found out is that whenever I post something about an architect who, you know, like Philip Johnson, who was a white supremacist Nazi, who was so incredibly influential, but like look of a CA being a fascist, things like that. People will be like, I went to design school and they never taught me this. I went to design school for this many years and I had no idea. What I find so frustrating is that there are these huge parts about the structure of architecture and architecture curricula that have been completely swept under the rug or just modified. And that absolutely fascinates me and it frustrates me and I can't shut up about it. I kind of dabbled a little bit in cities and architecture a little bit back when, when I was at UPenn where we volunteered at Monument Lab for mural arts. And that was kind of one of those great projects where everyone was questioning, you know, our monuments and what it looks like to have a monument that really represents our cities, it was a time, it was 2017, a lot of Confederate monuments were coming down, started thinking about the city in general and this idea of public space and what it would look like if our public space was determined by us, by the people that lived there. And so a professor was, I'm naming a lot of names because I, there's so many people that I feel are like, have just completely changed just the way that I think. So my professor, Laura McGrain, she gave me this book. She was like, you should read 
the production of space by Henri Lefebvre. And it took me months and months because I'm a very, very slow reader. I actually have reading disabilities and a, and a bunch of just learning disabilities in general. So it took me such a long time to read. But by the end of it, I came out like an anarchist. And I've been an anarchist ever <laughs> since. So I was like, thanks, professor. Um, <laughs> and, um, and that was just one of those things where I, I, just found architecture to be like sometimes it's, it's easy to look at it and become once you start looking at all of these structures to get very down to be very pessimistic sometimes like very upsetting especially when you see all these new structures going up that continue all of these legacies and continue dividing people and continue a lot of inequity you know make inequities worse and worse but also when I learned about traditional architecture of indigenous peoples that works with ventilation in a way that is completely different from how our buildings are right now where it's like very hopeful it brings you so much like, okay, our world could look totally different. We don't have to waste all these fossil fuels on keeping ourselves cool. We could actually do this a different way. If we broke down to certain zoning laws, if we didn't have something as arbitrary as money and budgets, <laughs> if we actually invested in land back, if indigenous people had the, you know, had the right to say what happens with our, with the land on Turtle Island, we could have a completely different world, a completely different way of, of looking at architecture. And then goes back into being like frustrated and angry because, you know, you see like the amount of, of Black and Indigenous architects that end up getting licensed. And you look at these histories of what architecture, even though I've never worked in an architecture office, but I end up like getting obsessed and reading all these articles about what the the environment is like there it it starts to it starts to kind of all fit together you that's amazing that. this is like you have an insight that no one else in the industry <laughs> I shouldn't say no one else that's not true but you're an outsider looking in mm -hmm. and yeah. like I said before I didn't even know you were art history major yeah. or an artist like a pure artist mm -hmm. I thought that you went to architecture school I was already prepared when you think about the architecture education <laughs> all this stuff yeah. I was here to ask you and you're just you're just reading this you're just yeah. you're just following like a rabbit hole a path and you're just picking this up and you're just reading and you're just being observant and you're listening like it's if anything this is a definition of what allies should do and I don't say that word a lot like yeah. I, I barely say that, but like, I mean, if you took heat over like five over one and you're still here, <laughs> I mean, it's, that's, I, oh man, oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what, one of the things that actually fascinates me so much is how angry people will get when we talk about architecture or like challenge their ideas about what the history of modern architecture is and I find that like just mind-blowingly fascinating that because you're <laughs> indoctrinated and the architectural education is there to to beat you down it's kind of like the army mm -hmm. or navy or whatever mm -hmm. you know like they mm -hmm. it's like you shave your head so you can yeah. be amongst like everybody looks the same that's yeah. the goal 
and so whoever can graduate graduate like you survive it's like you start off with 100 people and 25 graduate that is the goal so the people who those 25 who graduate they've been indoctrinated they follow the foundations of modern architectures you know yeah. the, the bajas is the minimalism yeah. is the straight angles or curves or you know whatever whatever yeah. is fancy and you're you, you were able to see through that bs in in the year really quickly <laughs> yeah really and quickly. it's i mean i think it's easier i think when you're when you haven't been in that for that long and you can kind of come in from the outside and see all of these things from afar as a person like I've always been a little bit of like an observer (laughs) I see myself as just like someone that I like to be backstage not in the middle of of stuff like not being the person like it's funny because like I am a graphic designer right now but I do get so much more enjoyment maybe out of looking at graphic design as a whole or looking at these larger like larger larger structures and stepping back I still love to make art but sometimes I like talking about art more than I like making art like I'm not I'm not entirely sure and it's it's Um, fine like to be fluid is is the best thing because that's how you produce when when you're in the mood to write you become a really great writer when you're in the mood to be an artist you're a really good artist and that's the beauty of it like that's just you know, just, just flow with your whatever word I can't think of right now. <laughs> Another thing too, that I've noticed is where you first started off with textiles yeah. and, and integrating that with your own heritage, knowing who you are and your culture. And at the same time, you're able to address the wrongs in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like one of the ways that I, that's, and that's interesting. So so when I start, cause when I started at, at TikTok, we, I was talking a lot more and was getting a lot more, yes, into like the textile world, into like cultural dress around Europe and around Eastern Europe. And one of the goals of that was to show how colorful and diverse Europe is, which does have, does actually do a lot. One of the the first things that that I found like really touched a lot of people on TikTok was how Hitler and the Nazis really suppressed a lot of ethnic German clothing, which was used to be like extremely diverse. It actually still is diverse in people that that still practice it all around Germany. Extremely bright, very lots of colors, especially um, in the Catholic region, it was like incredibly, incredibly rich and diverse. And so there was an entire propaganda campaign to make pan German identity of just like this very simple dirndl, like this very, very simple dress. And that piece of propaganda has stuck with us to the point that people who are German who live in Germany. We're commenting on that original that video saying, I never knew this. I never mm. learned growing up, growing up like this. And of course, many more, I think German Americans were like, okay, I always was really ashamed about this part of my culture. Like I was really like, I just, or like, I just thought it was just beer and pretzels and like maybe Oktoberfest, even a part of me as well. And my family, that's where, part of my family that's from Transylvania is, is that German part. So I was always like, oh no, but like we're Romanian. We're not like actually German. But the more I learned 
about, about that culture and about the incredible richness of Transylvania Saxon culture, where there is just, there's a lot going on. There's the, the outfits are incredibly floral and incredibly, there's amazing headdresses. And there's just lots and lots of stuff. What I was going back to a little bit earlier this year with learning about Orientalism and how Western Europeans in academia would really frame Europe in a lot of ways as this kind of bland place, especially Western Europe as this bland place. And then we have, you know, the Soviet bloc coming in where we see Eastern Europe as this very gray place, uh, this very colorless, drab, sad place, or even like the shtetls. So looking back to and trying to find Jewish textile history, which is a little bit difficult to research and can be traumatizing to research. Looking at the shtetl as something that's not like this sad place all the time, but somewhere that we had joy and we had culture and we had vibrancy. And so one thing that one pitfall, a huge pitfall that I think I started kind of falling into and have seen many other people unfortunately get way too far into is concentrating a little bit too much on celebrating and uplifting this culture and almost, you know, having this whole cultural revivalist movement, which can be good because the culture itself is, can be really beautiful and really amazing and and valuable, but it can be used for the most awful purposes. So you see this very, very, very large Norse pagan revival movement all around the U.S. And some of the, some of those folks are getting really in touch with the far right and are getting, you know, and there's, there is that entire way that Nazis, especially in actually Transylvania, in, in Saxon Transylvania would use the culture as a part of their propaganda. Mm. Um, and they would use that like, oh, we're indigenous to this land. We have this rich culture. So it's really interesting because it's like, I was getting very, very into that idea of cultural diversity and, you know, knowing who we are, but also I think there is sometimes like, we always have to make sure that that is balanced with keeping our eye on the prize, especially when we're, you know, here in Philadelphia, keeping the eye on the prize with, with black liberation and land back and with, you know, put ending police brutality with defunding the police with all of these things again it's so easy to get I think for some folks to get very caught up in like okay I'm gonna revive my culture and I'm gonna end my whiteness and it's like no no (laughs) 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 so but it is but when that all ties back to what architecture looks like and what our clothing looks like and what Um, It means to be producing these things really quickly that we used to produce really slowly and with a lot of care that it starts to get really exciting to kind of piece those things together. Mm -hmm. How do you do your research? Oh man, I'll get really excited about a topic. So usually like I will find something and then get very obsessed with it. So it'll be like obelisks. So one thing that one day I'll have like a whole other thing about obelisks. First go into Wikipedia and I'll just try to get a background, very, very basic background. Then I'll try and find some like news articles and try to find something that's a little bit more reputable, maybe like three or four articles. This is like the different steps of the rabbit hole mm-hmm. <laughs> going down, down, down. And so, so I'll read a few of those. And then if I feel like this topic is just big, big, and I get really, really into it, I'll get a couple books and I'll read that book. I'll get really excited and then 
find often I'll find like connections in that book and this person's talking about that author a lot so I'm gonna go and read that author and so right now the the book I'm super happy that exists is the is Race and Modern Architecture with with Irene Chang and Maple Wilson and Charles L. Davis the second who have amassed this incredible collection of essays from different thinkers and, and writers talk about how race has come into modern architecture so that has been like a very a very big part I think I get the most from texts from books that are off of the internet I think we get almost like a little bit too excited about the internet sometimes I get too excited about the internet sometimes <laughs> and all the information that's available there but so my mom started as an investigative journalist she's now a chef this is something that we talk about sometimes that there is so much information that's really not on the internet <laughs> that you really really can't find um, that is just in it's in books and so you know Bef- that step before books, I'll probably go into Google Scholar and JSTOR and uh, Command F is my favorite thing. So I'll be like looking, looking, looking like, okay, what did you say about racism? What did you say about ornament? What did you say about all of this? Um, and I'll find like little snippets, but I do feel like I end up learning the most when I'm just sitting down with a really good dense book. <laughs> and that's where, that's when things get really exciting. How long does it take you to create a TikTok? It depends it depends on the topic so like sometimes it'll be just a really quick like one-off so right now I have one I'm prepping about stairs I mean I'm calling you right now from Montreal so stairs there's a lot of stairs in Montreal where everybody all these houses have these beautiful like ornamental staircases and so for that one's like a little bit I don't think I want to go too far into it it'll probably end up taking me about two hours to put the whole thing together for like Mm -hmm. just a 60 second video and like an hour and a half to two hours if it's like a three minute video where the other day about the CIA and how the CIA promoted modern art around <laughs> modern American art around the world which is a crazy crazy topic that'll take longer because I want to kind of parse out the information create a a timeline I'll write a script for myself I'll go back and like try to shorten it. I try to like short as much as I can record the video, edit the video, do the whole thing. That'll probably take more like writing it and the video together. That'll probably all take like a day altogether. But, but what I'm trying to do is to like move into YouTube. I think that that's going to be really exciting when I finally get like my first YouTube essay up because like right now on TikTok, you know, like the, the videos that end up doing well are shorter and they Sometimes they're shocking and they're exciting um, and they're thought provoking. But what I really find more fun almost is to have just like, <laughs> just to push as much information as I can in people's faces. <laughs> so, so if I can make something, the, the more I can put in there and the more background and information, I don't really like to say nuance. People will be like, oh, yay, it's so nuanced and look clap. But I'm like, no, 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 I don't like, <laughs> I don't really like that word because I feel that tries to numb things or ameliorate like ideas that should be scary to people. Mm. But I think the more information that I can put in there, the better. So I'm looking forward to kind of starting up a YouTube thing and having like 40 minute long videos where we can really dive into something and pick it apart. Yeah. Oh gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can I really make money off of that because you can't make money yeah. off of TikTok right now. No, you can't. You can't. I mean, you could make a couple cents off a video, but honestly, on YouTube, you could actually get compensated for the stuff that you do on TikTok, unless you're like a super, 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 super big, big, big creator. It, and even if you are, it'll never amount to the work that people put in. It'll never amount to what to what you do so yeah so you because of tiktok you got a job right <laughs> yes what how did that happen like i saw you post and i was like oh my god <laughs> it's happening too fast it's happening so fast I, it's happening too fast to me i'm like i am excited so yeah hyper allergic on instagram oh my gosh i hope i said his name right I'm realizing i haven't said his name right i haven't said his name out loud in the public space before. So he reached out to me on Instagram saying like, oh, would you like to do a few articles, a videos for hyperallergic and we can write for us a little bit. And we talked a little bit and it was in the making for a while and now we're there. And now I'm making a few videos for them a week. I'm writing stuff for them and posting a few articles for them, a few videos for them a week. And it's really exciting. I've been reading Hyperallergic for a long time. It's also been that kind of critical outside view that I really love, that like independent view that really go in and criticize absolutely every single thing about the art world and the museum world. I am so excited to be working with them. It's been like, again, a year since I've been out here publicly. (laughs) My face has been out here. And I'm just still astounded that people are interested in stuff that I'm interested in (laughs) so so that's um yeah that makes me so happy even though all these topics are like people are like how do you not scream when you're talking about these things that are so depressing sometimes I actually find it all very hopeful again what we were talking about for a second we can change the way that we see things and the way that we make things if we uh change certain structures like capitalism finding out that people are so interested in these ideas has been just a wild amazing ride and I'm excited to see what happens next me too I know (laughs) we're we're, we're stuck on time and you gotta go but thank you so much for talking to me thank you so so much for having me here I'm super 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 honored and yeah just it's all again just all very exciting I'm a little bit giddy um as you can see (laughs) so thank you I hope we can chat again soon yes always just connect and I'm always around I'm always on Instagram so Mm -hmm. hit me up anytime I will we're not strangers perfect perfect okay Okay. all right have fun thanks bye bye (laughs) listeners I have an exciting announcement I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating the show and it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week, but it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want to keep the show going and I want to invest in its growth. And I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archispolly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. 
If this show is part of your day or week and you like what I'm doing, then visit glow.fm slash archespolly, all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today.